Hey, beautiful people, what is going on? Uh, you made it past election cycle, kind of, right? Uh, you made it past the summer. Okay, we are nearing the end of 2020. And so if those last two worship songs did not make you worship, that sentence should, all right? We're coming up on the end. And we're also starting a new series uh, called Tri Christ Our True King. Uh, and so after journeying through this series where we are heavily talking about uh, really our response to the world around us, I, I want to gaze our eyes and fix our eyes on Jesus over the next couple of weeks. And so uh, I want to begin to think about the person of Christ and who he is, because as it feels like there's so much chaos in the world, it's easy to actually allow that chaos to bleed into our souls unless we look to the anchor in the midst of the waves. And his name is Jesus. He is the anchor to our souls. And so I'm really hoping that looking at the life of Christ will actually set us up to have one of the best Christmases that we've ever had, and that even though 2020 may have been difficult for a lot of us, that actually we would remember the beauty of Jesus, and that it would end in a way where a lot of times pain uh, happens. As pain comes, the dross begins to bleed out, and you're left with more purity, and I pray that that would happen even in our own souls as we gaze at Jesus, even over this series. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Luke chapter 4 is where we're going to begin today. Today. And over the next several weeks, we'll actually be in the Gospel of Luke, both here in this series and in our Advent series, which will be starting after this one. And so as you're turning there, we're entering into the beginning of Jesus's ministry here. And uh, we're going to get a glimpse into kind of who Jesus is and what he's about. Luke is intentional at trying to help us understand uh, really what the mission of Jesus is. He's establishing why the Messiah came and why this should matter to us. And so today, what we'll be looking at specifically is Jesus's message and his mission, his message and his mission. That's the title of the sermon today. What was Jesus proclaiming? Why did he come down to earth? What does that mean for us? And so let's chop it up. Luke chapter four, we're going to be uh, starting in verse 14. I'm going to have Daniel read that for us. Hey, well, family, my name is Daniel and my wife, Angie, and I go to the Terrytown CG and serve on the prayer team. Today I'm going to be reading from Luke 4, 14 through 30. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover the sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began saying to them, Today is this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land, Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. 
And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman and the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town, and they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> so much goodness here. It's like early Thanksgiving for us, all right? And so, hey, several things I want to jump into as we gaze at the person and kind of dive into the person of Jesus. And so, firstly, Luke wanted us to see the power by which Jesus operated and in which he uh, really activated his life, and that was the power of the Holy Spirit. You see that there right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is significant because Luke also says, the same thing about the church in the beginning of its ministry in the book of Acts. And so we are able to do the works of Christ and we are able to look like Christ because of the power of the spirit that Christ operated by. And so immediate question to consider is, hey, are you being led by the spirit? Uh, Just like Jesus was in verse one of this chapter and here in what we just read, he is uh, submitting his life to the spirit. Do you feel the spirit of God in your heart? Are you listening to what the spirit is saying? Do you feel his presence in your life and move by his power? This is what Jesus was doing. And what we see him doing is in the spirit, he is going into the synagogues, preaching in them. Think modern day churches in that sense. And people were glorifying him. It says, you see there on the screen, which is a word that Matthew and Mark only use of God, the glorification of God. And so in other words, these people, they're deifying Jesus in a sense, saying, Yo, there's something different about this man. There's something more powerful, more majestic. There's a God-likeness to this human that is amongst us. And so you see there, Jesus uh, rolls into Nazareth, into his hometown, his hood, his block, right? And he went into the synagogue there too, okay? Now, this is important. Before we get into his message, notice something very significant. You'll see it there on the screen. It says that this was Jesus's custom, Jesus was used to making his way into churches. If we are going to be like Jesus, one of the ways that we do this is by regularly attending worship with God's people. Jesus was used to being in the church. He didn't say, well, I can know God on my own, right? Uh, Which if anyone could have done that, it was him. He was God and he was intimate with God the Father, yet he participated in his humanity and in his pursuit and his interaction with God. He knew that the way that you do that is often by being with the people of God in the house of God, the church. And we see him again in the next section we'll cover in verse 33, in the church again. And so this was his habit. It was his custom. And look, y'all, no cap. The synagogue was in much worse shape than the church today is, okay? And Jesus still went there anyway. Like, I know that the churches, some of them today are super political. You ain't seen politics infiltrate the church until you saw those Pharisees and the Sadducees 
Pharisees the way they were then. Like, I know that we be bugging sometimes, but look in the scriptures to see how ratchet some of these cats are that are in church, right? Like, Jesus was there anyway, y'all. So make gathering in community a regular habit of yours. And so Jesus hopped in and he uh, jumped up ready to give a word. He said, "Uh, excuse me, pastor, I I have a word from the Lord. All right. Uh, If you grew up in charismatic church, you know what that means, okay? Uh, And so once again, uh, to our previous point, Jesus participating in his humanity. Look what he does. He unrolls the scroll there. He finds a place. He starts reading. He rolls it up again. Why did he do this? Like, he knew what was there, okay? Like, I mean, after all, he is the word of God. He wrote this joint, right? And he's still, once again, participating with us in his humanity, showing a sense of intimacy there. Now, here's where the fun starts, though, okay? Look at verse 17. It says that he found the passage. and that culture, things were really liturgical. And so there was a reading plan that the priests really stuck to. And so this indicated that Jesus, went off track of that reading plan. It was like, hey, yo, yeah, 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 but I got something to say here, okay? And he grabbed a different scroll and he's trying to make a point, which is why the people are staring at him afterwards because he's off track. He wants to communicate on behalf of God here. He wants to make a point to show his message that he's going to proclaim and his mission as to why he came. And so what is the first thing he does to showcase his message and to highlight his mission. Well, he quotes from God's word. My, 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 don't miss me here. Don't sleep on that sentence, okay? He doesn't start by saying something new. He doesn't start by performing a miracle or by holding some rally. He doesn't begin his ministry by displaying some power that would have shocked the mind or blessed the body. He begins by bringing us into that which has power over our hearts and souls, God's delivered word. This is what he's submitting himself to. He's showing the importance of allowing the word to be what dictates your mission and your message. He's submitted to the word of God. In fact, in the previous section, which we'll actually reference at the end of the sermon today, but Jesus is going through temptation with Satan in the wilderness, and all three times he's tempted, he preaches God's word each of those times. He's consistent in all of his ministry, no matter if he's blocking the attack acts of the devil or advancing the plans of God, he's doing it in submission to God's word. It is rooted in the words of God, the scriptures, which is why we should be so committed to this as Christians. He could have done anything, but he went to the word, y'all. And we can often desire Jesus to display himself in all of these ways. The way he has displayed himself most clearly and consistently is in his spoken word. Jesus attests to that himself in this. And so part of his message is actually implicitly to trust the word and to listen to it and to submit yourself to it and to be involved with God's people. If we want to be like Jesus, we will be in his word often, led by his word continually and amongst God's people regularly. This is what we see immediately in Jesus's life. And so he opens up the scriptures. He's being led by God's word. And what does he quote? Well, he quotes this beautiful, 
beautiful, beautiful passage. In fact, a timely passage coming out of our Justice and Mercy series. Part of Jesus's ministry was to bring liberty and justice and mercy to bless God's people who are in need, both provisionally in the way that you and I can as God's people and supernaturally in the way that only a Messiah could do. And so why did Jesus come? Well, he's quoting from Isaiah 61 here, which this is a messianic prophecy that is pointing to the coming of a servant that's actually a king. And so in Isaiah 61, it shows this crazy picture that, man, there's this ruler who's a king, and yet he acts much more like a servant than like a ruler in the way that we would expect. And Jesus starts quoting that about himself and says that this is the ministry I've come to fulfill. I am the servant king. And so there's all of this Jewish historicity wrapped up in what he's quoting here. And some people, they see this statement as a political statement, a social justice orientation of the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, he's going to do good to the poor and free those who are in systemic oppression and honor those who are lowly. And I would say that they are right, a la our last sermon series. That is definitely a part of the Messiah's rule. In fact, Tabidi Anyabwile, who's a pastor and author, says about this passage, he says, the gospel we preach cannot be an escapist, pie-in-the-sky gospel. It must be a gospel acquainted with pain, roughened by grit, and smelling like marginalized people. The gospel must enter the world as it is and proclaim to a broken people a healing Savior. Amen. And so the opening words of Jesus's ministry are his affections being given to those who are in need, his power to come protect and deliver those who need it, to restore the creation, to begin the process of bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it will be in heaven. This was the ministry of Jesus. The kingdom of God has come, he said often, and this is a part of Jesus's ministry. Others see this passage in just a spiritual sense. We are spiritually blind, poor, and naked. We are captive to a greater problem than the systemic ones around us. We are enslaved by our sin. We're not just temporarily naked, oppressed, and dying. We are eternally naked, if not for a savior that can deliver us from the greater enemy of sin. And the Messiah, Jesus, is coming to liberate us from this, they would say. And this is true as as well. In fact, in the context of Isaiah 61, it is spiritual in its nature. And so there is this spiritual deliverance that the Messiah will bring. This is why you see there in that passage, you see Jesus proclaiming liberty, proclaiming freedom, proclaiming the good news. He's preaching. Why? Because the gospel message comes by hearing about Jesus and choosing to believe, obey, and follow him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of the Lord. We are spiritually delivered when we hear the gospel message and choose to believe it in our heart. And so Jesus here is proclaiming a spiritual deliverance because he is the Messiah that can write our relationship with God. And so right away in this one passage, you see Jesus saying, look, I am the one that can fix the vertical brokenness between you and God. And I am the one that brings horizontal healing. It isn't just spiritual. It is isn't just social, it's both. And Jesus is coming to bring both. Jesus is coming to change the world and family of God. He did and he does still. He's still doing this today, okay? The Messiah is holistic. 
The Messiah is powerful. The Messiah is good, y'all. He is good. Now, after this crazy demonstration where he finds the passage, unrolls it, reads the scroll, rolls it back up and sits back down and says, everybody is staring at him, right? Like the anticipation is thick. It's palpable in the room. And then in one sentence, in verse 21, he proclaims something that is astounding. He says, today, okay, not in Isaiah's day, right? Not when Jesus dies on the cross three years later. Then, right then, in that immediate moment as he begins his ministry, since he is now on mission, since he is now in ministry, right in front of their eyes, the scripture is fulfilled and completed. Translation, oh yeah, I'm that guy. That's what Jesus is saying here, right? You see, this is why I couldn't be the Messiah, right? One of like 1.6 billion reasons, right? Like I would have been like, the scripture has been fulfilled, player. <laughs> I would have walked off. That's like the mic drop moment, right? I'm that guy, boss, right? Okay, my, I literally have in my Bible, that was a boss move. Like I have that written about this section, okay? And so what do you see here? You see not that posture. You see this humble man, right? Jesus is humble, even though he is knowing who he is. But though he is humble, check it, he is not shy, apologetic, apathetic, or hidden about who he is. He is the fulfillment of scripture, y'all. He is the one that every single prophet wrote about. He is the anticipation, the one, the, the seed that would come that would deliver us from our sin, the greater Moses, the greater David, the greater king, the one that all of scripture was waiting for. He is here and he says, I am him. This is a powerful statement here. He is all of the anticipation of hope. He He is all of the desire of liberation and of freedom, everything that their hearts longed for. That is who Jesus was. He is the true king and not just was, he is still today. All of those same things, family of God. Notice that Jesus already fulfilled everything and he hadn't done an ounce of ministry yet. It's because he is the eternal one. He is the one that has already completed this. He is God is what that is saying, which is why they're like, yo, who is this dude, (laughs) right? In fact, don't we know him is what they start saying. And even though they heard the gracious words and they marveled at them, they began to allow doubt to fill up in their heads. And they started doubting who he was because they realized his humanity as well. And so then Jesus, knowing this in grace, actually begins to quote scripture to them and uses examples. Once again, using the Bible to try to lead them to truth, right? And to show that, look, God has always come and brought blessing to those who are in need. But often it was the Gentiles that realized they were in need, those outside of the people of God. They were the ones that realized their poverty and that is who God blessed because God blesses those who are in need. That old phrase that God only helps those who helps themselves is a trash phrase. God helps those who need him and who confess that he comes to deliver, y'all. And so don't miss this, y'all, especially if you grew up in church. Okay, familiarity breeds contentment, Mm -hmm. right? Because they 
think they know what Jesus should be and who he is, they miss who he actually is. And many of us think that we know Jesus's message and we understand his mission and we completely miss him in the process, y'all. Like, don't be too common with Jesus, beloved family of God. Like, linger with him. Look a little bit longer. Sit a little bit longer in his presence. Be certain that you recognize him for who he truly is. Know his full message, y'all, not just part of it. Understand his complete mission, not just a portion of it. He gets more beautiful the more you gaze. His beauty does not grow more common. It grows more majestic the more you understand. It is more clearly revealed and more mysterious the more you gaze at him. And so seek him and look to understand who he is. They allow what they thought they knew about Jesus to aid to their completely missing of Jesus, just like Israel in the stories that Jesus is quoting. And we are not better than Israel or than these people. We are tempted to do the same, y'all. And so what happens is, is that Jesus in his quotes, it turns them from wonder or confusion to wrath because they understand what he's saying here. He's saying that he's the Messiah. He's the savior of the world. And he's going to pass them over and go to a foreign people, the Gentiles, poor people, those who are sick, those who know that they need a doctor. This is who Jesus is going to visit. You know, the church often acts with hostility when they see Jesus engaging with people that they don't think he should be around. Mm, Help them, Lord, right? Now, Luke, he gives us some hints here. He says that this is just the beginning of what Jesus is saying. And so he kind of gives important snippets about this scene here. This is uh, not the whole scene. So it probably escalated quickly, but not just quick, that that quickly, just FYI, right? Because you could be like, dog, these people are emotionally unstable. (laughs) This is probably just a little snippet of a whole of what actually happened. Luke is sharing the important pieces. I say that because this is important. praise Jesus initially, and they like some of what he's saying, but then when he brings rebuke upon them, they try to kill bruh, right? And we too can like some aspects of Jesus. We can like his justice. We can like his mercy, but when he brings truth, we can often turn and hate that same message, and we can reject his message or reject his word or reject his mission and end up rejecting Jesus in the process if we are not careful. We can not only accept portions of our God that fit into with our theology of what we think God should be like, We need to embrace the whole message of Jesus. You see, they thought the Messiah should do certain things and should act a certain way, and they were mad at him when he wasn't conforming to their little boxed version of a Messiah. And we can often project personified versions of the Messiah and grow frustrated with Jesus when he doesn't fit into our mold that we think he should fit into, and because of this, completely miss his beauty and the process, y'all. Don't be too familiar with your Messiah. Look to him. Understand who he is. They're defending what they think the Messiah should be like rather than listening to the Messiah explain who he actually is. 
And we at times can be defending what we think the Messiah should be doing rather than allowing scripture to proclaim who he actually is. And to make matters worse, they try to kill him, this text says here. They do this probably under justification because they think he's committing blasphemy. This is just Joseph's son is what he's saying. And he's claiming to be a prophet of God, the prophet of God. He's claiming to be God himself. They probably think that they're doing right because they think that they're trying to honor God in killing him. How many times do we think that we are honoring God when in the name of God, we are actually harming God's people because we don't understand his message and we don't understand his mission fully. In fact, they're on the Sabbath trying to kill him. They're trying to uphold religious laws and in doing that, breaking other religious laws in the process. It's complex, and we do the same thing. We're in the season where we're tempted to do that the most in this political season. I wish I had a few witnesses this morning, right? Okay, and then look at what he did, right? He Jedi moved, disappeared past these cats, okay? And I love that. Now look, maybe this is a miracle that happened there in verse 30, okay? Maybe he just got away because he's like, y'all, they trying to kill me, and I I ain't doing that today. And maybe he like snuck out the building, all right? I don't know, okay? But scripture points that out because almost always in scripture, the physical, Physical is imitating or shining light on the reality of the spiritual, okay? For example, when it says it was dark, it's not just telling you that the sun was going down. It's probably telling you the spiritual condition of somebody's heart. And so the physical is representing the spiritual. What is it saying? They missed him. He went past them. He went through them. They missed his message. They didn't understand his message. And so he just passed through them. Because they were unwilling to accept who Jesus was, he passes through and he goes away. And so if we don't accept and embrace Christ as our king, then we too can miss him just like that, y'all. And that quickly is Christ in your midst. Is he trying to reveal himself? himself to you? Is the Spirit of God trying to speak to you about the beauties of Jesus or the wonders of God or the conviction of the Word or whatever it might be? Will you allow Him to work on your heart and to reveal Himself to you, or will you miss Him and will He pass through your midst, family? That's what happened here. And so I want to finish this section really quickly in the next couple of verses, reading a parallel section here where Luke is comparing and contrasting these two events. And so I'm going to have Esther read these last few verses for us, beginning in verse 31. Hi, Well family. My name is Esther Tan, and I'm a Covenant community member here at The Well, and I'm part of the Terrytown CG. I'm going to be reading from Luke 4, 31 to 37. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Esther. Now, as far as we know, Jesus never entered Nazareth again, his hometown. The scripture never indicates that Jesus ever went back. 
In other words, some rejections are final, y'all. Friends, this is why you should not reject the word of God, either in simple obedience or in things like salvation. Yes, Jesus gives grace. Listen, I probably heard the gospel message a hundred times before I repented and believed. And so God does give grace, but why tempt God's grace? Why tempt his conviction? Why not enjoy his goodness right now and whatever the spirit of God is speaking to you about? You see, uh, if you are one who has, by the way, continually rejected Christ and now you do believe, I would encourage you to worship Jesus even right now because he was gracious enough to come back to you again. If you rejected and now you believe this because the Lord kept coming back to you, but Jesus is rejected, leaves, and they miss him and he passes passes through them, and he begins his ministry elsewhere amongst people who will actually embrace him. Now, a couple of brief things in this passage that contrast the previous passage we just read. Firstly, look at verse 33 there, okay? A demon took over a man and then brought brother man to church, all right? And so everybody okay in this room today? All right, I just, just want to check. You never know, right? You never know. Okay, look, why did he do this? Well, look, family, what is happening here in this section? Satan loves to oppose Christ's work right where the Lord is meant to be worshiped, which means in our church, which means in your families, which means in your marriages, right where Christ is supposed to be working is right where Satan wants to show himself. The enemy wants to attack, destroy, deceive, distract you from the person, the mission, the message of Jesus. And so watch out for the lurking serpent. He seeks to damage and to destroy your life, family of God. But notice also the previous passage, they drove Jesus out on a Sabbath, but in this this way, Jesus drives the man or the demon out of the man when? On the Sabbath. Jesus is doing good work. You see, Jesus is fulfilling verse 18, where he brings liberty to those who are oppressed. And they mistakenly, because of their rejection of him, actually end up in a spiritual oppression. And so they drive him away and end up oppressed. The other ones embrace Jesus and he drives out darkness and gets freedom. When you embrace Jesus, there is deliverance when you reject him, there is oppression that comes. They don't see who Jesus was in the previous passage, therefore falling victim to their own blindness and oppression of sin, whereas this oppressed one here is free. Jesus, he brings freedom. You see, they too are amazed. Just like in the last passage, they marveled. But here they're amazed and they spread the news and they embrace who Jesus is. The other ones, they marveled and they rejected. And so will you listen to Jesus's message? Will you embrace his mission? Will you receive him fully, family of God? Or does a politician's message sound better to you? Or does sin's message sound better to you? Or does your version of what you think the Messiah should be like sound better than who the Messiah actually is? Let's not act like we're better than these people. We too are tempted to reject the person, the message, the message, the, the mission of Jesus if we're not careful, y'all. Jesus wants to liberate us and he wants to liberate everything around us fully. And so will we let him or will we allow him to pass by us? And see, here's the beautiful thing 
thing in all of this to me. Notice the contrast here of those who embraced Jesus and those who rejected Jesus in these passages. Three times in this passage, we see that something was thrown down, it says. You see it there on the screen. Satan is telling Jesus in verse nine to throw himself down. Jesus is going to be thrown down off the cliff, you see there in verse 29. And the demon throws down the man in verse 35. And so each time something is thrown down, it's because of a sort of rejection of who Jesus is, of his message or his mission. And so in Satan's temptation in verse nine, which we didn't read, but he's tempting him to throw himself down from the temple, he's exercising false power. He's telling Jesus to reject his mission the way a lot of political figures do of our Jesus today, by the way, okay? When the people try to throw him down, it's a rejection of his message. And the demon throws the man down, rejecting Jesus's person, the very one who would fulfill verse 18 and bring freedom to those who are being oppressed. And yet look at the mystery of the upside down kingdom and our upside down king who comes down on our behalf. You see, Satan in verse nine was trying to get Jesus to throw himself off to help people realize who he was, yet through power, not through the cross. The people were trying to throw Jesus off because he revealed who he was and they didn't like this. And the demon actually revealed who Jesus was as well and hated that and threw the man down in the process. And yet think about the gospel. Three years later, Jesus would not throw his life down, but he would lay his life down on our behalf. You see, Satan tells Jesus to throw himself from the temple, but Jesus is actually the true temple of God and allowed himself to fall to the ground and be broken that we might now be delivered and lifted up on the wings of angels instead of him in his place. The people throw Jesus or try to throw Jesus down off the hillside, yet Jesus lays down his life on another hillside three years later, allowing people to kill him and pay for the penalty of their rejection of him. Jesus took that upon himself and Jesus was destroyed and he was harmed. Unlike the man with the demon, you see how he faced no harm? Jesus was harmed that we might face no spiritual harm if we trust in him. He brings liberty and he is willing to bring freedom if we are captivated by sin and he begins to write things on earth as the kingdom of God gets established. He became poor that we might become rich. He was oppressed that we might have freedom. The spirit of the Lord was upon him and yet he gave up his spirit on the cross so that you and I who are spiritless might now walk in the power of the spirit of God and the freedom of Christ. Worship this king, Jesus, y'all. This king is good. He is good, he is good. And everyone, y'all, when seeing Jesus, they're tempted to throw him away in the process in a desire not to submit and to respond respond to who he actually is, but Christ actually calls us to throw things away that we might embrace him. And so will we throw Jesus away or will we throw things away that we might gain Jesus? If we try to keep what is ours, we might gain the whole world, but we will lose our souls. But if we die for the sake of Christ, we will actually live forever for him. When we throw this world away, we get Jesus, which means we get everything and we lose nothing, family of God. This is our King Jesus. And so what is our response to him? Will we let him pass through us, y'all? Will we let him completely miss us or will we marvel and will we embrace? 
who is Jesus according to Luke? Well, Luke actually kind of underlies this beautiful tone here that I want to leave us with. Luke says that Jesus is the true prophet because he's the one who speaks the words of God and he is the very word of God himself. He is the true priest who is the servant and the sacrifice for his people, bringing liberty because of his suffering. And he is the true king, exercising authority over all, even over the demons that we might one day reign forever with him in his kingdom where there will be no more sin and there will be no more confusion about who our next president is going to be. There will be an eternal one reigning. His name is King Jesus. His rule will be perfect. There will be freedom and beauty forever. This is what he wants to invite us into. He came down to earth that we might be collected to become his people. Will you embrace him? He is our prophet. He is our priest. He is our king. And if this is true about Jesus, then what does this mean for us? It means forgiveness is only found in him. And it means that truth is only found in him. And it means that allegiance should only be given to him. He is humble, beautiful, and servant-hearted, and yet powerful and strong and able to overcome. Straight up, y'all, he's just better. Jesus is better. And so don't miss him and don't let him pass through your midst because you are not in embracing him. I believe that God wants to reveal himself to you. Even in this season, will you allow him to? Will you listen to his message? Will you understand his mission? Will you behold the beauty of the king and embrace him? Because his message is your good and his mission is your freedom. Listen to his words. Dwell on his words. Meditate on his words. Embrace his words. Live out his words and the life around you. Behold Christ our King, y'all. Amen? Amen. Hey, listen, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for everything this passage shows about you in, in just a few short verses. I thank you for your grace as you speak freedom over us for your power as you cast out demons who controlled other humans, but they ain't control you. You're the powerful one. For your mystery as you miraculously pass through the crowds. For your messianic purposes as you come to proclaim salvation as our Savior. For your love as you willingly lay yourself down in harm's way by coming, revealing yourself to those who you knew would reject you for your truth as you show us what the word speaks about you. You are the fulfillment of all of scripture, the anticipation of God. You show us truth. For your justice as you liberate and you fight for the marginalized. For your divinity as you showcase yourself to be more than human, but being God himself incarnate amongst us. And for your salvation for all who would call upon you. For your beauty and your majesty majesty and your complexity wrapped up in just a few short verses. God, will we know all of this and so much more about you? Reveal to us ways that we don't really see you clearly. Let us not throw you away like the people tried to do. Let us embrace you, God. Where we miss you, help us to see you, to embrace you, to love you, and to follow you. Help us to follow you, Jesus. 
Thank you for spiritual deliverance. Thank you that you are delivering us physically and one day there will be full freedom. Thank you for your holistic rule. We love you, Christ. I pray that there would be more followers of you today because of your word dwelling in our hearts. Praise in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.